Welcome to Millennial 708. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Happy March, rabbit rabbit. Yeah, I read a great tweet today that was somebody being like, oh, it's March again. We meet again, you raggedy ass bitch. (laughs) I've been seeing some tweets today, like March 2020 me versus March 2021 me. And you know, it's like, young Kate Winslet in Titanic versus grandma Kate Winslet in Titanic. Yeah, it does feel that way. It's been 84 years since (laughs) last March. (laughs) I mean, it's so funny in hindsight, the day that we found out that Tom Hanks had coronavirus, everything changed. In that moment, everything changed. Thanks, Tom Hanks. (laughs) We started taking it seriously. We were like, not Tom Hanks, like take literally anybody else except for america's grandpa right he's so innocent he's so lovable everybody loves him how could it happen to him i had a weird tipping situation i wanted to ask you guys about because i'm still really annoyed by it last weekend we went on a hike with brooklyn and it was a very sandy hike so uh, after the hike i was like let's take brooklyn to a self-service dog wash to bathe him ourselves because i don't want him tracking in all that dirt and sand back into the house So we go to a new one that we hadn't been to before. It had really good reviews. And we're like, hi, we're here for the self-service dog wash. And they take us in and they give us a little tour. They're like, here's, they give us like a a crate with towels, shampoos, combs, treats, like everything. And it's very nicely presented. And I'm like, okay, this is a very, this is a great place. I start bathing them. As I'm drying them off, I notice a little tip jar next to the self-service dog wash. I'm like, that's weird. I'm not going to tip them because... I'm at a self-service dog wash. I'm doing the washing myself. (laughs) So I just ignore it. Then we get to the register. The person at the register says, hey, would you like to tip today for the self-service dog wash? And I'm like, in my head, what the fuck? I end up tipping because I don't want to be that asshole who says no. But then I was, the more I was thinking about it, the more I was like, wait, that was so bullshit. They didn't do anything. They just gave me the crate. With like, you know, the soaps and stuff. And they gave me a very good tour, but that doesn't deserve a tip. Why am I tipping at a self-service dog wash? It just speaks to how out of control tipping culture has become now, right? I shouldn't have to tip in a situation like that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, have you guys ever been to a bar where they have a bathroom attendant? Because I struggle with similar situations. The worst. Yeah, because it's like, I don't need you to like pump soap for me. I'm fine, but like, I know you have to, but also I don't have cash and now it's awkward because like you helped me dry my hands and I just have to leave. Yeah. Yeah. The trick is to avoid accepting their help, but sometimes you can't if they're sticking that paper towel in your face. And they're like right in front. I'm talking about people that are right in front of the the dispenser. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like you can't get around them. They're just there. Yeah. It's so odd. Well, this would be actually a great question of the week for uh, people who are tuning in live on the Discord. What are some situations in which you think it's bullshit to have to tip, right? There are lots of situations where it's very clear, like food service, drink service, those kinds of things. But what are some situations that you've been in where you're like, what the hell? Why do I have to tip here? I also hate how these days when you swipe your card, sometimes you do it on their screen yourself, and then a little prompt comes up saying, would you like to tip? And sometimes that person working the register register is basically staring at you as you're filling it out. So you feel pressure to add a tip. Or like there's a local pizza place here. When I sign the uh, receipt 
for the credit card, there's a tip field. But I'm just taking out pizza. Why should I be tipping? But I feel pressure because they're facing me. I never do tip there. But I feel yeah. like a piece of shit when I don't every time. I used to work, obviously, I used to work coffee. I've talked about this before. But I, for me, anytime I was on register, it, it's equally awkward. I don't know how people just like stare at the customer when the screen, you have to turn like a square sc- screen around, for example. Exactly. And I would just like turn away. <laughs> And, you know, kind of try my best to, like, let that person know that I wasn't going to look. They could clear it out. (laughs) It wasn't going to bother me either way, especially, like, if they're just getting a drip coffee, which sometimes I don't even tip for a drip coffee, especially Uh if it's at, like, a Starbucks or something. But you you do tip at coffee shops normally. I do. I do tip at coffee shops. And I think I do it more now because I used to work at coffee. So I know that it's a lot. But I, I, I don't know why in my head there's like this weird hierarchy and I tend to tip more at a craft coffee shop than I do at like a Starbucks or a Pete's. Yeah. I will say I never tip at Starbucks. I'm so sorry. I have friends who are Starbucks employees. I think it just doesn't occur to me when I'm there because one, it's a corporation and two, right. I know that they're being paid like an actual hourly wage. It's not like, you know, for instance, my brother's a bartender and he's getting paid like $2 an hour. So that's a very clear case where you should tip. Um, but if I'm at, you know, a locally owned or private coffee shop, I'll definitely tip in those cases. That seems pretty clear cut. Right. Um, I want to tell you guys actually about a story. I don't think I've gotten to talk about this on the air. So we had a situation a few months ago at this point where um, we ordered pizza through DoorDash. And my mom did the ordering. And I guess when she was going through the, you know, all of the menus, she accidentally tapped no tip, mm-hmm. um, which normally she would absolutely 100% tip. It was just an accident. And when the driver got here, rather than like call us to be like, hey, I just noticed this or like try to even... I don't know, do anything even remotely normal to change the situation. He came to our door, knocked on the door, and then was like, hey, you didn't give me a tip. Oh, my gosh. And oh, also, he wasn't wearing a mask. So he like came to the door maskless demanding a tip. And my parents are good people, so they still tipped him. I was standing in the background being like, you don't fucking come ask for a tip. (laughs) What the fuck? Like, yeah. that's not how any of this works. Yeah. It's tough, though, because, like, you know, these people, Pat was a DoorDash delivery driver for a while. So I saw firsthand, like, how frustrated he would get when people didn't tip because they don't make anything. Yeah. I get his frustration. But at the same time, you don't really want to approach people that way because you also could turn around and call the pizza place and be like, yo, this guy was begging for a tip. Like, that's inappropriate. Well, and that's exactly what happened. And the pizza place didn't care. They didn't give a shit that that happened, but it's just, it's, it's not even just unprofessional. It's just really awkward. And like, you know, I've been in customer service most of my professional life. So I understand that there are aspects of the job that are thankless. And I wouldn't have begrudged this person trying to do something to rectify the situation. Like if he had called and been like, hey, I actually noticed that on the receipt, it didn't look like there 
was a tip mentioned? Was that something that you wanted to include? Like that would have been better than right. coming and pounding on the door demanding a tip. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's so weird. I mean, like you should tip, but you also like as somebody in an industry where tipping is customary, it's not up to you to demand somebody give you more money. You mm-hmm. know, tipping culture is just out of control. And it sucks it that we have we have to pay these people's salaries in a way because these well, businesses can't or won't. And it sucks that they're put in a position where they might have to take more aggressive means to make sure that they're getting their tips because they don't feel like they have another choice. Right. Um, Sam mentioned taxi drivers as being uh, a confusing instance for tipping. I think. Regular taxi drivers, yeah, that's a little confusing. With ride-sharing apps, like with Uber and Lyft, I feel like it's pretty clear because you're given the option Mm -hmm. to tip. But I've also been in scenarios where, like, a taxi driver, like a regular old-school, like, yellow taxi driver got salty for not getting a tip. So it is hard to know what you're supposed to do in those circumstances. Yeah, And, like, what if the service is poor? I hate to be that person, but it's, like... I don't know. Oh, I'll, I happily probably will tip still, if yeah, the service is poor. Like I, I've been in some Uber um, situations where it's like I, I feel like I had more, I got more anxiety from this drive that you took me on than I should have. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and so then the it's nice... like, why am I rewarding bad behavior by tipping you if yeah. I felt like you were gonna crash while we we were trying to get to the airport? Right. No, definitely. Um, or sometimes, or... like I don't know if you if this has happened to you guys before, but like. There have been a few times um, where I've been an Uber driver. I've been in Uber situations where they tell me they're taking a shortcut. And it, it, I I know the city well enough where it's like, you're not oh, taking a shortcut. They're just running yeah. the price up. They're running the price yeah. up. Yeah. And I've literally mm-hmm. literally had to be like, please, can you just like take me to like where I'm supposed to go? I live here. This is not yeah. a shortcut. You're literally going like unnecessarily around. Sometimes yep. uh, there's been a few occasions where I've been suspicious of the route too, and I'll just load up Google Maps on my phone, and Google Maps will give you the shortest, quickest route. Right. And if they're not following that, then something's up. I don't say anything, but I'll give a bad rating and or I won't tip. Yeah. It just like makes me anxious if it's like in San Francisco, because I know it really well. If it's a city that's mm-hmm. not, then I probably won't say anything, even if I were to look it up. But if it's a city I know well, it's like, I I just want you to take me to where I'm supposed to go because now I'm like nervous that you're going to take me somewhere else. So, yeah, exactly. Um, Catherine is saying with COVID, it's extra awkward when the barista turns the iPad around to you and asks if you want to add a tip and then they tap it in for you. No, that should be that should be something that you're putting in. I think that's weird. I haven't had that happen to me. Puts the pressure on in that way. And I feel really bad for these baristas that have to do that because that's like somebody told them that that they needed to do it that way. And then if you don't ask, you're the asshole at work that is like potentially taking tips away from the whole team. Yeah. Yeah, Because usually it's it's just like a whole pot and then they divvy it up. Right. And when the answer is that everybody should just be paid a living wage to not create yeah, but, this but confusion in, and ambiguity for people. Yeah. Even in places that are not the like, I, I don't know, like I've always worked at I think I've just always been really lucky, but all of the coffee shops I've worked at have paid above whatever the minimum wage is and then tips on top of that. But I know it's not 
always feasible for somebody to get a job at like a craft coffee shop. And most people that work as baristas, they work at Starbucks. And so like therein lies the problem, right? Because that really like fuels the coffee culture in general. So even when like people that frequent Starbucks go to these other like independent stores, it creates issues because they don't realize that the service is different or they feel like they shouldn't tip anyway. Or We should probably do a larger discussion on this sometime because I think we could talk about this for a while and get a lot of people's stories too. I think so. As like a, a final one on this, Mariah said, any place where I just get my food and coffee from the counter, I don't really feel inclined to tip. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking like a fast food establishment where they're just grabbing items that are pre-prepared off a line and handing them to you. Yeah, I don't I don't think to tip in those scenarios either, unless it's something where somebody like really goes above and beyond mm-hmm. or it's like a holiday or something, maybe. This is a good idea for a future discussion. Absolutely. Well, cool. Looking forward. Did y'all hear that the FDA has issued emergency approval for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? Yes. Yeah. Great to see a third out there. Yes. Hopefully that'll make things go a bit faster. Um, mm. There is, however, already um, some vaccine hierarchy going on with some people where folks would prefer the Moderna or Pfizer vaccines because... <sighs> They are between 90 and 95% effective, whereas the Johnson & Johnson is about 70% effective. So there is a difference there. I just wanted to pose it to the panel. Do any of us have a vaccine preference? And will we take the first vaccine available to us, regardless of which of these three it is? I've heard some talk about this, too. Obviously, a vaccine that is more effective is more intriguing. We all want that one. But I saw somebody make the point, maybe Fauci, if Johnson & Johnson's was the only one on the market, 72% is really, really good. So we all would have been clamoring for it if it was the only vaccine. I also heard that the Johnson & Johnson one, and this is straight from Johnson & Johnson, this is what they found through testing, is 100% effective against hospitalizations and deaths. That's that's enough for me. Yeah. If it, if I take this one and I'm not going to be in the hospital or die, I'm good. So I'm sick for a couple of weeks. Wow. I'll sit on my couch and complain about how sick I feel. That's okay. I'm not going to die. Cool. Yeah. So prick me, daddy, with that one. I <laughs> prick me, of, daddy. <laughs> I, I also kind of wonder if as more people get inoculated with, say, the Johnson & Johnson and as more time passes... If that effectiveness rate will sort of like the gap will start closing up a little bit and we'll actually find that maybe it's a little bit more effective than we thought, because at this point, they're just kind That's of like also possible, um, you know, they speed they're speed rushing this in a smart way. So anyway, yeah. I, too, will take uh, anything that comes first my way. I'm not picky. Would you say prick me, daddy, or would you come up with another phrase? Yeah, sure. Prick me, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready, baby. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I would also like and it wouldn't even be a second thought. Like I have no hesitation about this. Also knowing what the effectiveness is of the regular flu shot that we get every year. That's in the 60s. Yeah. We all take that every year. And that's actually a little bit less effective than the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. So yeah, I mean, obviously, if they rolled out three vaccines and told me I had a choice, I would pick the ones that were more effective. But that's not how life works. And I would happily take Johnson & Johnson tomorrow. And if I have a really cool, um, you know, nurse or tech who's giving it to me, then I will feel comfortable saying, prick me, daddy. (laughs) (laughs) 
I will. I don't think I would ever be that comfortable with a nurse or doctor. So. I think if they're cool. Yeah. If they're cool, you know, if they like give off the vibe where they're like having fun with it, you know, maybe. Well, um, on that note, I'm noticing Beth in the Discord says I got my second dose of Moderna on Thursday. So there's like lots of congratulations to her and to Beth and anyone else who's either started or completed their vaccination series or will soon be doing so. Good job, guys. Well, even though vaccines are being rolled out, it's uh, still not enough of a security for Comic-Con out in San Diego to decide to go forth with their in-person July convention. So they announced today, which was much earlier than they did last year, that they have decided to cancel the in-person event. And they're going forward with plans to do a virtual event again. They did this last year as well. So they've put out dates for that. It's towards the end of July They're also canceling WonderCon out in Anaheim, and they're doing a two-day virtual event for that. But the interesting thing about this announcement is that they also said that they are in the process of planning an in-person event for November out in San Diego. Oh. And so what I wanted to ask you guys is, like, do you think that November is even too soon for something like this to perhaps be you know, on the table for them. Yeah, that's tough. July is definitely too soon. Right. But I also just saw on the New York Times website that at the current pace, 90% of the population could be vaccinated by July. The other big question is not just vaccinations, but are people going to be comfortable going to events again? And they need enough people to sign up for San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. I mean, I don't dispute that it could be relatively safe to continue with mostly normal life in the fall. But I think it's going to take me some time to get to the point where I'm comfortable with it again. Like you can't mm-hmm. um, subject people to a year and a half of isolation and expect them to bounce back from that with no mental trauma. Like I feel like we've just we're going through this very serious mental trauma as a collective society. I just don't know if people are going to be ready for it. Until 2022. That's a good point. The other day I was at Best Buy trying to buy an ergonomic keyboard because I'm getting old and my wrists are starting to hurt. <laughs> and I, this guy tried to squeeze in behind me and he stepped back while he did. And we like bumped into each other. And it was the most awkward thing ever <sighs> because, you know, nobody's really touching strangers right now. Right. And he was like, so um, very sorry which I appreciated, but I was mostly just startled because I was not expecting to come into contact with somebody that I literally have never seen in my life. Yeah. And so like, and that's just like a a singular instance. I can't imagine going to a large event where everybody's, you know, kind of stuck in this one room together. My hope is we'll be asked to continue wearing masks through the end of the year, but start congregating again. And I think wearing a mask while getting close to one another again would be a nice way to transition back to normalcy and feel safe for a lot of people, especially knowing that everyone's been vaccinated. By the way, in After Dark today, we'll be making a surprise bitch call to millennial listener Elizabeth, who is a trained infectious disease epidemiologist with a certificate in vaccine science. Ooh. So we'll talk to her in After Dark today. And if you have any vaccine questions, she said... Throw them her way. She will try to answer them for us. I'm going to ask what would happen if I said prick me daddy (laughs) when getting the vaccine. (laughs) 
first Good question. I'm question. asking all of the right questions. No, I'm I'm <laughs> curious, um, and I'm seeing it in the Discord too. People are mentioning, you know, variants of the virus being a bit of a wild card. So I'm interested to hear uh, mm. what Elizabeth Sartre's thoughts are on that. Should definitely ask her that. Yeah. Yeah. So quick correction on myself from last week. Apparently, during this discussion about the New York governor, I referred to him as Chris Cuomo. It's not Chris Cuomo. It's Andrew Cuomo. Chris Cuomo is Andrew Cuomo's brother, and he works at CNN. So different Cuomo brother, but still the rest of the discussion stands. And actually, Andrew Cuomo is having a really bad few weeks here. He's now had a couple of former aides accuse him of sexual harassment. So there's going to be like uh, an independent investigation into that. So I'm sure we'll have more to report on that situation later. But I hope nobody has gone tweeting at Chris Cuomo like, fuck you for killing old people. (laughs) (laughs) I heard what you did on Millennial. All right, before we head into what I'm hoping will be an informative game in politics, I wanted to share a quick word from one of our sponsors, Third Love. I've been wearing Third Love's bras for a couple of years now, and they are my first love when it comes to bras. It really is time to let go of your bad bra and fall in love with better bras and underwear. Head over to The Fitting Room, a new and improved version of the Fit Finder quiz we all know and love to find your perfect fit. And if you're not sure about your size, Third Love's team of expert fit stylists are available via chat and email to answer all of your questions. But Third Love has a lot of other great products to offer, like their new lounge line. Mix and match styles are your unofficial uniform for anything you feel like doing. The loungewear is made to wear everywhere from the couch to weekend outings and is available in woven, knit, and 100% French terry cloth styles, as well as sizes extra small through 3X. Every Third Love bra is made with signature memory foam cups, no slip straps, and a scratch-free band, all available in cups AA through I, including half cups and bands 30 through 48. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash millennial to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash millennial for 20% off today. All right, jumping into politics this week, we wanted to start by looking at some of the restrictive voting laws that are being put into place nationwide, but specifically here in my home state of Georgia. So the Georgia House actually voted today on the day of us recording this episode to pass House Bill 531, which if passed in the Senate, would overhaul the ways many Georgians vote. I thought rather than me rambling about all these things, we could play a little game to learn more about what this bill proposes. It's important because similar legislation is cropping up in other battleground states, too, like Pennsylvania and Arizona. Uh, Republicans argue in favor of these measures for election security, and Democrats argue the impact will actually be less voter engagement, so less voter turnout, um, which some are seeing as like the the real point of why Republicans are pushing this kind of legislation. Yeah, don't say. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, first, I thought that we could frame this as a two truths, one lie scenario. So I'm going to make three statements and you both have to decide which are the truths and which is the lie. And if you can back your answer up with anecdotal evidence or anything you've read, that's even better. So round one. First choice, the U.S. Constitution gives state legislatures the power to determine how elections are run. Next choice, in the first weeks of 2021, 37 state legislatures introduced, pre-filed, or carried over more than 500 bills to expand voting access. And third choice, one proposed Georgia measure, however, would allow the state legislature to overturn the popular vote and declare the winner themselves. I think the second one. You think in the first weeks of 2021, 37 state legislatures did not introduce bills to expand voting access? Correct. I was going to go with the third as well, but then you said overturned, and now I'm like backing up on my thought. But I'll go with it anyway, uh, because I feel like that's something Georgia would have passed. And the fact that it did not go through makes me feel like perhaps it didn't happen. And so that would be the false one. Okay. So, Pam, you are right. Um, The third one was the lie. However, caveat to this, this wasn't a proposed measure in Georgia, but it is in Arizona, another battleground state. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Two halves of the same coin. Um, So based on this... Um, and what, you know, if anything, we've heard about some states looking to introduce more restrictive voting measures. What do we make of certain figures claiming this move has nothing to do with the outcome of the 2020 elections? That's what a lot of prominent Republicans are saying right now. This is just about making our elections secure. Well, unfortunately, the truth doesn't matter anymore. So they can sit here and lie and lie and lie and just get away with it. Because on paper, it does sound like a good idea. Expand election security, especially after all the talk we heard over uh, the past election cycle. The way they're doing it is the issue and why and the, the true intentions why. Yeah, it's such bullshit because we all know that this is only happening because you know, Georgia specifically is very shook that they turned blue. And I'm sure there are other states that are also quaking in their boots because they were close or they also did not um, see the outcomes of this election coming. So it's unsurprising, but also disappointing. All right, let's do another two truths, one lie about Georgia specifically. So the first one, Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger sent unsolicited absentee ballots to every Georgia voter last spring. The second one, this bill and others like it would seek to end no excuse absentee voting. And the third choice, it would seek to instead mail unsolicited absentee applications to eligible voters. I'm going to say the first one. They sent unsolicited yes. voter registration ballots in Georgia. No, yes, there's no spring. way that happened. I'm going to say that's the lie. I'm going going to agree because I feel like you wouldn't have talked about uh, signing up to be an absentee voter if this was the case. Ooh, reverse could, psychology. Uh, you know, uh, avoid having to do one more thing. So actually, that was true. Um, Brad Raffensperger, he is a Republican, but in a pretty unprecedented move last spring, 
he sent unsolicited, in this case meaning unrequested, you didn't have to apply for an absentee ballot application. He just had them sent to every Georgia voter last spring. So that was around the time that the primaries um, were happening, if y'all will recall. This was a little bit uncharacteristic for a Republican. He got a lot of really good press for it at the time. Um, The lie in this case is that this bill would seek to mail unsolicited absentee applications to eligible voters. The bill is actually looking to get rid of that to prevent what Raffensperger did from ever happening again. I see. Okay. It's a trick. Yeah. Mm. A- <laughs> well, see, that's that's the point of this exercise. Of is course. It, it's pointing out when um, people are willing to get down with certain things when they think it might benefit them. And then when they realize it doesn't, they back off of it. Um, so I want us to think back to 2020 and how we were able to vote last year. As just a refresher, did we all vote absentee last year every time we voted? I yes. went in person. That's right. You went in person for the primary, was it? Uh, for the presidential, for the for the main events. Okay. And I did early voting quite a few weeks ahead of actual election day. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that you'd gone in person for the presidential. Yeah. I, you know, this is a sacrifice I was willing to make. I was just more comfortable. Oh, okay. You know what? I filled out a ballot at home, but I dropped it off at a real polling place. You used I the went drop the box. Yeah, yeah. They shepherd you through, though. I, I was a little surprised, but yeah. That's yeah. what I do, too, all the time. But it's basically voting absentee. Mm-hmm. It's just because I can never find a stamp, honestly. So it's easier to drop it off. Well, but there's also there's also been that trust issue with USPS getting your ballot, you know, mm, to where it needs to go. That's a good go, point. So. Yeah. Which I is never why... think about it that way. I'm just cheap. <laughs> yeah. And it's why ballot boxes served such an important purpose last year, because... You know, the Postal Service was being fucked with by the Trump administration, and we all lost faith in the ability of our ballots to get there on time. I was in the same boat as what both of you are describing. I dropped off my ballots at the bo- at the boxes because it was just so convenient. Um, speaking of which, this is very apropos to our next question. This next question is multiple choice. Um, so probably like less difficult in terms of eliminating what's a truth versus what's what's a lie. Um, so a measure included in House Bill 531 would place which of the following limitations on ballot drop boxes, those things we all love so much. A, it would eliminate ballot drop boxes altogether. B, it would limit drop boxes to only be inside early voting locations. Or C, it would limit the number of drop boxes to two per county. I bet C, two per county, because they still want to make them available, but they want to make it harder to get to them. So they limit how many are out there. I'll do B, because I feel like it would make sense to have them at polling locations. Yeah, so Pam was right. But Andrew, you were on the right train of thought there. By limiting drop boxes to only be inside of early voting locations, that makes them inaccessible 24 hours a day, right? So there are people who don't work nine to five schedules who can't get to these polling places when they're open. In Georgia, it's seven to seven. But if you, you know, if you work overnight, how are you going to be able to go there to drop off your ballot in a drop box that is located inside a place that is closed? Mm -hmm. You have no access to. So it kind of it removes the convenience for a lot of people. Yeah. So I wanted to do um, another multiple choice here to really drive the impact home, um, especially when it comes to um, 
allegations of voter fraud involving absentee ballots. According to the Heritage Election Fraud Database, how many convictions of fraudulent voting involving absentee ballots have occurred over the last 20 years? 143, 57, or 368? I'm going to guess the middle number, which I think was 143. I'll go with the higher one. 368? Yeah. The correct answer was 143. And quite frankly, these numbers are all so fucking low. It wouldn't matter which one of them was the correct answer. 20 Mm -hmm. years, 143 times. Yeah, that's nuts. I'm not surprised. I mean, we've heard stats like that over the years. Yeah. So there's no evidence of significant voter fraud due to absentee voting or just in general. But I want to know what would we have done last year had absentee voting not been available to us given the context of the global pandemic, would we still have voted in person? I think at least everybody here would rather catch COVID than not vote. (laughs) Fair. I would have, but I would have been extremely uncomfortable by the idea. Yeah. And I, and I, it's not necessarily for myself, but just for like the idea of what that would mean for everybody. Yeah. And also like, For example, if you're high risk, that's basically either a death sentence or um, you're being suppressed because they know you won't go because you value your life more than standing in line. Yeah. And part of what House Bill um, 531 would aim to do is eliminate excuse-free absentee voting. So in Georgia, you can currently request an absentee ballot for whatever reason you want Um, So you don't need to have like a, quote, valid reason to get one. And that would just eliminate so many people's ability to comfortably vote because they wouldn't be able to choose from a list of pre-approved reasons to vote absentee. So that's just another reason why this is fucked up. Um, I do want to shift focus a little bit because we also have um, a Senate bill here in Georgia that is focused on (laughs) some very similar measures. And um, State Senator Jeff Mullis, who is actually a sponsor of Senate Bill 69, <laughs> which <laughs> I don't, they clearly didn't choose that number. Um, he had this to say. He said, we believe that it's important people have the ability to register to vote. And we believe just to assume that people need to vote might not be the right way. That's crazy. What do you even say to that? People should have the ability to register, but we don't think that everybody needs to. It's a remnant of, you know, Jim Crow. Something else for us to think on, and this is another fun one. Georgia, in the last few years, has actually become a national leader when it comes to automatic voter registration. So we implemented in the last several years a measure that would automatically register people to vote when they went to apply for a driver's license. Pretty great, right? Which prominent Georgia Republican do you guys think introduced this? Was it Sonny Perdue, former governor, Nathan Deal, also a former governor, or Brian Kemp, who is our current governor? Marjorie Taylor Greene. Was it Brian Kemp? I would guess him too. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are so right. And he didn't even do this when he was governor. He did it as Secretary of State in 2016, specifically in September which was before, like a couple of months before, what major <laughs> election? Um, and it's just funny to me because it seems as though 
if you were to apply their logic in the same way that they're using it now, it seems as though they were hoping to drive up support for mm-hmm. a Republican candidate at the time. And that has clearly backfired on them. Um, you know, Republicans are down with expanding easy voting access when they think it's going to benefit them. To illustrate this, since 2016, when uh, current Governor Kemp, former Secretary of State, um, introduced this measure, um, Georgia's number of registered voters has increased from 1.5 million to 7.7 million. Wow. That's enormous. Huge, as some people would say. That gives Laura a huge freedom boner. Yeah, the freedom boner is right here. Red, white, and blue. (laughs) Red, white, and peach. (laughs) Yeah, if if your freedom boner is red, white, and blue, you should go to the doctor. Um, (laughs) Final question for you guys. The Brennan Center for Justice estimated that which of the following percentage increases in Georgians registered to vote because of this move? 27%, 49%, or 94%. Which percentage increase does the Brennan Center for Justice estimate occurred because of this move? I'm going to say the low one, the lowest one. 27%? Mm -hmm. I'll go with the middle one. It was 94%, y'all. What? Whoa. Think about that. 1.5 million to 7.7 million. That is an enormous jump. Yeah. Wow. So it's just interesting to me that when Republicans think that they have a sure thing, they're willing to be very liberal in terms of access to voting. And as soon as they realize it's not, they want to take it away. Yeah. So definitely if you're particularly like Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, even Texas, I haven't looked too closely into y'all yet, but I'm sure they're up to some fuckery there Laura too. Laura and her games are coming for you, so look <laughs> out. <laughs> Me and my games. I just, I want and it to be accessible boner. because if I'm just yeah, sitting here being being like, House mm-hmm. Bill 531 is going to restrict access to no, no, the following methods. Like, I agree. So, no, I agree. Just so yeah, fun. it's just definitely, like, play this with your friends. Like mm. play play this game with people you know who aren't super engaged. <laughs> do something because play them this with your is... friends. Well, no, what I'm, do you want to do this serious? Saturday night? <laughs> Just kidding. I want to play Laura's voter <laughs> restriction game. No, it, I'm really concerned about this because these yeah. are all things that are happening as we gear up for the 2022 midterms. Campaigning for that has already started, and mm-hmm. it's really frightening to me to look at the number. Of, I think I was reading 37 other states are introducing legislation uh, or attempting to pass legislation very similar to what we just talked about today. And what we talked about today are just like the highlights. They're the high, the high points of the fuckery. Mm-hmm. So you just, we just got to pay attention. We got to stay on top of it. Unfortunately, um, the Republican Party's current status is to just be, um, the party of no, the party of obstruction, and the party of denying people their right to vote freely. Yeah. So we have to keep an eye on it. We have yeah. to stop the fuckery. And we have to show that it doesn't work. Yep. We that, do. That would be helpful, too. My 2021 slogan is going to be stop the fuckery. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's prick me daddy. Laura's stop the fuckery. Pam, will work on one for you. Maybe during a pop culture. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so really quick, a new Equality Act 
passed in the House, preventing discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. The law's impact would be different in practical terms now than it was in the previous versions. And that's because the Supreme Court, you you might remember, last summer ruled that the protections guaranteed by the 1964 Civil Rights Act on the basis of sex also extend to discrimination against LGBT Americans. This was a big deal last summer. I was actually... Very excited by this news. It was one of the very few good things to happen in 2020. So this new Equality Act would explicitly enshrine those non-discrimination protections into law for sexual orientation and gender identity. The Civil Rights Act covered discrimination in certain areas like employment and housing. The Equality Act, though, would expand that to cover federally funded programs as well as public accommodations which is a broad category, including retail stores and stadiums. So that's very good news. Is this going to pass in the Senate, though? That's the big question now. It's actually not very clear how it will go. There's a couple of Republicans who actually might uh, vote in support of the Equality Act. Republicans don't like the bill largely largely because it infringes on religious freedom. They still want to say no to gay cakes. So we'll see what happens. But still, it's a landmark bill. It was a really big deal. And uh, now we just wait for the Senate. Do you two think it's going to pass? I don't know. I I don't trust Joe Manchin. Sometimes I wonder why he hasn't changed party affiliation. He he did speak out in support of the Equality Act, though, I will say. Okay. So it looks All like right. we'll have him. But like Murkowski and some of these other Republicans who sometimes side with Democrats, we don't know how they're going to go. Yeah. You know what? Democrats could just kill the filibuster to make this a non-issue. It is interesting to me to watch the evolution of Republican resistance to things like the Equality Act. I mean, remember a few years ago, with specific regard to gender identity, they wanted to make bathrooms the boogeyman, like they really wanted to scare people about, you know, oh, a trans person might be in the bathroom with you. Um, And that hasn't worked, right? Like people largely didn't buy into that. So now their move, and Marjorie Taylor Greene has really been the spokesperson for this uh, latest boogeyman, is that um, trans kids might be on your kids' uh, sports teams. So they're trying to push this idea that specifically that um, trans women would be on girls and women's sports teams and deny them opportunities and also be in their locker rooms. So again, that's just their latest push to try and scare people mm-hmm. into discriminating against others. Yep. Catherine was like, someone should update JK Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> She's not happy about this. She doesn't want this to pass. This is bad well, news she, for her. She clearly hasn't gotten the the memo that like we're done scaring people with bathrooms we're now scaring them with sports teams <laughs> right it's bathroom adjacent right what did you see this week pam i saw this uh, thing about the new u.s post office vehicles trending mostly because people thought that they looked really cute did you guys see the new design for they these? are cute oh i Do thought people thought they looked cute? derpy I thought they were insulting. I mean, I kind of thought they looked a little derpy, but but I think that the general internet consensus is that they're kind of cute. It's like derpy cute. They look like something from Fisher Price. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I could see that. 
Well, it's not really about uh, what's on the outside that counts here. It's actually more about what's on the inside uh, because these new trucks are equipped with a bunch of new uh, bells and whistles, including 360 degree cameras, advanced braking and traction control airbags, a front and rear collision avoidance system that includes visual and audio warnings and automatic braking as well. Um, Vehicles are also going to have increased cargo capacity to maximize efficiency and better accommodate higher package volumes stemming from the growth of e-commerce. Right now, currently, the USPS has more than 230,000 vehicles in every class, and many of these vehicles have been in use for 30 years. So in a lot of ways, I think this is a long time coming. Imagine having a 30-year-old car. I mean, some people do, but like that, that is not good. And also crazy... The current vehicles are actually pretty dangerous. Between 2014 and 2019, 120 of these trucks have caught fire. I don't like those odds very much. No. They badly needed an upgrade. I had no idea that there were all these issues with these I cars. I didn't either. Is it, have you never heard your dad rant about this? Isn't he like a postman? He was a postal inspector. He's like a mail cop. Okay, got uh, it. No, he, uh, I don't think I ever heard about this. No. There was... One disappointing element, and that's that a lot of these, most of these vehicles are actually not going to be electric. I think only like 10% will be. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a bummer. But that's a missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, Joel brought up a really good point in the Discord, and I know that that's not something that this particular point was geared towards, but it's a good question to put out there for consideration. Um, does that mean that we're going to put back mailboxes and the staff that we got rid of last year? <laughs> Well, DeJoy is still the Postmaster General, so Mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect any big changes just because Biden's in office. However, he did appoint a couple new people to some USPS council the other day, and there's some speculation that those Democrats that he appointed, that he added to this cabinet or council, might eventually help push out DeJoy. So there might be some movement going on, but for as long as DeJoy's in office, I don't expect things to get uh, restored. No. And that's actually a really good point as well, because um, basically when this story broke, the USPS also said that the upgrade and delivery vehicles is part of a yet to be revealed 10 year plan to transform their service. So they're really trying to revitalize the uh, United States Postal Service and upgrading vehicles is, I guess, the first step for that. Do we feel a little bit more confident, comfortable about the Postal Service's odds of surviving because it was looking pretty bleak for a while the last time we talked about them. Yeah. Well, with Biden in office, I think they he would do everything in his power to save the post office. So yeah, actually, I he's not going to let it go under. I think they're in good hands, at least for the next few years. And maybe he and his administration will do something to ensure that they're set up for long-term success. I would hope so. Isn't part of um, Biden's climate plan that he wants to make all federal vehicles electric by a certain date? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You would think that would include... um, These, right? These, too. Yeah. But these are brand spanking news, so I don't see them replacing them anytime soon. Right. Yeah. My concern would just be, you know, also for postal workers to make sure that they're being lifted up. I mean, the Postal Service is one of the largest employers of... Um, veterans and minority women in the United States. Hmm. Um, so those, I think, would be two demographics that Biden has, you know, made a lot of 
noise about wanting to be supportive of and provide better opportunities to. So my old neighborhood in Chicago currently goes weeks, weeks without any mail delivery. And when it arrives, it's like sitting in a messy pile by the gate or something like that. And I'm still in the local Facebook groups for my old neighborhood. And people are complaining all the time. And I feel bad for them. I can't imagine not getting mail for a couple of weeks because so many of us depend on USPS. Yeah. I mean, I can say that personally, we've had a lot more difficulty with our mail being misdelivered. Um, I've never had so much mail misdelivered than the last year of my life, basically. And that's happening both here at my parents' house and also um, where I live down in the city. So Mm. it seems to be at least you know, a common problem here. But like, we have to routinely walk down to neighbors' houses to like switch out the mail (laughs) to Mm. make sure everybody gets the right stuff, Um, which is a real problem when you're thinking of things being delivered, like, you know, uh, necessary life-saving medications. (laughs) Um, That's probably the most extreme example I can think of. Or sensitive items, items that need to be kept secure, you know, checks or personal information, stuff like that. Yeah, or like that, giant ass vibrator you bought like right you know you don't want that being misdelivered it wasn't a vibrator it was just a simple dildo (laughs) the big black one dildo simple rubber dildo why does that sound like the name of like a satirical like tolkien story it's like (laughs) it's like part of the lord of the rings universe a simple lord of the rings and the simple dildo (laughs) coming to hbo max this fall We'll be heading into some pop culture updates in a moment, but first, a quick word from our second sponsor of the week. They're Rothy's, and they make stylish and sustainable shoes and bags from recycled plastic water bottles. I love my Rothy's and am constantly tempted to invest in one or two new pairs every time I check their latest style offerings. They come in an ever-changing array of styles, colors, prints, and patterns, and they're super comfy, too. CNN says Rothy's are, quote, the comfiest slip-on shoe I've ever owned, period. That's been my experience, too. Two years into Rothy's ownership, mine are still going strong after more conferences and happy hours than I can count, plus so many cycles in the washing machine because, bonus, they are washer safe. And for the environmentally conscious among you, Rothy's has transformed over 75 million bottles into beautiful shoes, handbags, and face masks. Check out all of the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com slash M-I-L-L. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash M-I-L-L. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash M-I-L-L today. Time for some pop culture items. I wanted to mention that Paramount Plus started unveiling all the exclusive titles coming to its platform. This is slash was formerly CBS All Access. They are transitioning to Paramount Plus. They announced Rugrats and Frasier revivals. RuPaul All-Star Season 6 will be exclusive to Paramount Plus. Mission Impossible 7 and A Quiet Place 2 will debut on Paramount Plus 45 days after they debut in theaters later this year. The Halo television adaptation, based on the popular video game 
franchise. That's going to be exclusive to Paramount+. Plus. Another revival of Reno 911 in which they investigate QAnon is going to be on Paramount+. Plus. Oh my the, god. The Daily Show is getting a spinoff with Trevor Noah. It's going to be a weekly program. Tons of things. And of course, this this in addition to a big movie and television library. It's frustrating to see this at this point because there's so many streamers that we have to pay a monthly fee for. This one is $4.99 for the ad-supported version or $9.99 for the ad-free version. Nothing on this so far is tempting enough for me to sign up for. And I think I'm just at my limit in terms of streaming apps that I'm paying for. Yeah, I agree. I also, I was in the minority on A Quiet Place. I didn't think that much of that movie. Oh, so, really? So people yeah, loved so, that. Yeah, I know. I know. And I'm not I'm not going to talk shit on it because I know a lot of people really liked it. Just wasn't for me. Um, so yeah, that. Um, I don't understand why they're reviving Frasier. Just let it be. <laughs> it was a great show, but just I know. let it be. It had a good run. Kelsey Grammer's coming back for that too. But this is uh, what all these... But he's the only one confirmed so far, right? Yeah, like the grandpa, he's dead now. That was really sad. I used to like that show too. But this is what we're seeing happen here that we've seen happen on Disney Plus and all these others. It's just reboot, 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 you know? One thing that I don't think you mentioned, I don't see it in your notes, but maybe you did and I missed it, is that they also teased some new Avatar The Last Airbender content as well. And that might be the thing that might get me to sign up, but I wouldn't do it until, you know, they had announced something that sounded like it would be worth it. The reason I didn't mention that is because Nick is launching this whole Avatar Studios arm and it's it's Mm -hmm. also going to be stuff for Nickelodeon theatrical release and paramount plus but yeah i bet there's going to be one or two avatar titles on paramount plus too that are exclusive to paramount plus because that is a huge draw people love those shows it is going to be interesting to see how they do that specifically because netflix also has the live action series coming down the pipeline wasn't that canceled i feel like that got thrown out (sighs) did it yeah because they don't know they hit disagreements with the avatar creators no they they left the project oh yeah, but you know, it's like a bad train wreck, kind of like the movie. You just have to see it to believe how how <laughs> bad it is. Right, right. So, but but it is still like an entity. So it it's kind of crazy to think that perhaps uh, the franchise will be like living across. You know, three different platforms, potentially. Yeah, it's going to be huge. So the Golden Globes happened last night. Uh, This is probably of interest to nobody except for me. But uh, it is kind of interesting because the Golden Globes kick off the award show season for the most part. And since we're in kind of this weird year still, it's kind of interesting at least to see how they handle things and see how maybe that's going to set the trend for other award shows coming down the pipeline because we still have, you know, the Grammys and we also have the Oscars coming up. Those are like the two biggies. Um, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler hosted. They have hosted before and I feel like they always do a pretty good job. They're a lot so of their monologue was actually um, a highly about taking digs at the Hollywood Foreign Press Association for their lack of diversity. They have about 90 members and none of them are black. So <laughs> it's a huge eyebrow raising moment. Uh, Laura, did you watch this monologue? This is like right up your alley. 
So I actually haven't had a chance to see the monologue yet, but I have read excerpts of it and just heard about the general tone. And I have to say, it's not surprising to me that um, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler would take this kind of stance because it's not the first time they've done this. Um, Do you remember, I don't know if it was the Golden Globes, I think it was a couple of years ago, where George Clooney was getting a Lifetime Achievement Award and they pointed out all of these like actually important things that his wife does. <laughs> and they were mm. like, but he's oh, the yeah, one. Yeah. He's the one getting the lifetime achievement award. Um so I feel like this is very on brand for them. And um yeah, I think they're great. I love them. But why why is there so much emphasis on this issue this year? This has been a problem for a long time. And now Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, a couple of the HFPA members, they came out and pledged that they're going to diversify. Why did it all come out this year? And are we supposed to be impressed that the HFPA is now pledging to diversify? We shouldn't be impressed because this is honestly like the least they should be doing. Yeah. But I do feel like... um there is more accountability culture going on right now, specifically because of the Black Lives Matters movement revitalization in mainstream media last year. So I think it's kind of like piggybacking off of that. And so people are being much louder about this, even though you should be loud about it all the time. You know, it doesn't like end after yeah. the movement dies down. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they feel guilty about how bad it looks in retrospect to, you know, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and and everything that happened in 2020. Yeah. Too little too late, though. I, it just seems like pandering to me so badly. I just, I'm not impressed at all. Yeah. It's one of these things where I'm like, okay, I'm glad that you might be gearing up to do the right thing, but I'm probably never going to trust you. So just... <laughs> except that you've you've kind of made your bed right like and you have to lie in it so you know yeah like you shouldn't get a pat on the back no institutions that are just now making these corrections i'm kind of like i don't really have any sympathy or love for that (laughs) yeah maybe like five years ago but now get out of here yeah and they've been like a lot of these um organizations this happens you know, every few years where they have one good year where things like go okay, you know, in terms of like diversity and nominees and things like that. And then the next year, we're just back to the same old shit where it's just like all male directors being nominated or like no women of color or no men of color, you know. Um, So it's like a constant uphill battle. And I don't even really know if it's ever going to change. But I think the key is to like not pat these institutions on the back, but celebrate diversity when you see it because all progress is still progress in the right direction. Right. One thing that I did want to bring up, though, is Chadwick Boseman's win. He won the Best Actor Award for Marini's Black Bottom, which is out on Netflix now. If you haven't seen it yet, I would highly recommend checking it out. He stars opposite Viola Davis in that. That's my recommendation for the week. Uh, his wife accepted the award and her speech was super moving. And if you have not checked it out yet, I would highly recommend checking out the acceptance speech for that. Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful. And I was like, it also took me right back to, you know, when we found out the devastating news about him. And I just, I cannot imagine what this has been like for her. 
And to see her be able to accept this on his behalf and be so strong, um, it was really, it was really heartening to see. But God, I feel so terrible for that family. But it was a good awards show. Otherwise, I was actually pretty impressed by how it ran. There were some hiccups, but I mean, what a technical achievement to pull this off with all the celebrities at home over Zoom. I can't imagine how much work that is. But if you haven't watched it yet and you're looking for a laugh, I would definitely recommend watching the Golden Globes. It's almost always a good time. Yeah, they have a lot of highlights too up on the NBC um, YouTube page. So if you don't want to sit there, you know, like the three hours and stuff like that, you can definitely check out the monologue. Uh, Maya Rudolph and Kenan Thompson also did a really funny uh, sketch in the middle and that was really good. Um, Some of these acceptance speeches were really nice. Barb and Star Um, appeared. Recommended yeah, their fave, excellent movie. movie. <laughs> yep. It was a good time though. And they they were only like a minute over the runtime. So that's pretty impressive because some of the speeches, it felt like they were rambling and they gave them a lot more time than they normally would. Yeah. Have. And they had the cutoff music, but I'm not sure the celebrities were actually able to hear that. They didn't seem to change Probably their not. speed or their tone or anything or react to the music. So it was kind of useless actually. It's time for a word from our final sponsor this week, Talkspace. Now that we're coming up on a year of the new normal, it sometimes feels like we'll never get our old lives back. The uncertainty of not knowing when this will all end is frustrating and a little scary. I miss my old routines, and I really miss being able to see my friends and family whenever I want and hop on a plane and get home. For me, it's been well over a year since I've seen my family, and I just find that nuts. Now more than ever, therapy is a way to find our way out when things feel especially dark. Talkspace lets you send and receive unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist in the Talkspace platform 24-7. With Talkspace, you set goals with your therapist and they hold you accountable and make sure you're really progressing. Therapy can really help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and really be a guiding light. I think you'll be surprised by how working with a therapist will change your outlook. I was quickly able to see improvements in my way of thinking about different issues, and I still carry with me things my therapist told me years ago. And by the way, they have a really nice feature where you can star messages from your therapist to save them. I really like that because I can easily refer back to some of my most important conversations with my therapist. I want you to give Talkspace a try. This is truly the future of therapy thanks to its convenience while still remaining effective. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code MILL to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's MILL and Talkspace.com. Yeah, so quickly, we just wanted to talk about this whole situation with Lady Gaga's dogs. Um, as y'all know, I'm not super up on all of the happenings in pop culture, but I am a dog lover. So this story had me um, hooked over the course of the last week. Uh, Lady Gaga was in Rome. And while in Rome, she had a dog walker who was caring for her dogs while she was out of town. He was out walking them and um, someone approached him with a gun to try and make him surrender the dogs. They're French bulldogs. Um And he refused. And in response, this assailant shot him in the chest four times and took off with the dogs, um, or at least two of the three. Um, Dog Walker survived and he's recovering, which is great news. Um, Also, as we all know, the dogs have been recovered at this point. But what is so 
strange to me about this story is that it's very clear that this um, assailant had no idea that these were Lady Gaga's dogs. Oh, I disagree. You don't think so? Uh, no, they absolutely knew it was Lady Gaga's dogs. That's why they picked them up. Yeah, but they didn't ask for any kind of ransom and they found them tied to a pole in an alley somewhere. That makes me think that they realized that they didn't realize how high profile the owner was and realized they wouldn't be able to move them. So they just abandoned them. I think they gave up on the ransom plan because they ended up shooting the dog walker. And if Gaga were to have paid the ransom... Gaga would have probably been able to find out and investigators would have been able to find out who actually stole the dogs and shot the guy. So, yeah, I this was coordinated. This was planned. They yeah, knew. You think? Okay, because I had also heard that there's been a string of dog nappings happening in Hollywood, specifically French bulldogs. I don't remember, Pam, if that was you who mentioned that. I, no, but I feel like somebody mentioned that in the... Um... The banging out. Yeah, right? that might that might be yeah. where we heard it. And so that got me thinking. Um, and then the fact that they just kind of like tied them up in an alley somewhere and abandoned them. Either way. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of sounds like they terrible. got scared. But yeah. that's awful. That's One way I'm or the other, they they either knew it was Gaga or they found out it was Gaga. They freaked out and they dumped the dogs. Yeah. But she has the dogs back now. It just makes me think about this woman who found the dogs and walked them into the police precinct. Like, I wonder what that whole scenario looked like for her where they were like, and how did you get Gaga's dogs? <laughs> they were tied up like, to a pole, I swear. Happy ending. But... Yeah, it was really sad. I was really worried about those dogs personally. Me too. I thought, that. I mean, I think... If I were those people who dog napped the dogs, I would, I hate to say this, I'd probably kill the dogs because I wouldn't want to get caught. And that seems like the safest way to avoid getting caught. You shot somebody, you almost killed this dog walker. But I also saw, and I was looking at this guy's Instagram, he would announce that he was walking Lady Gaga's dogs, like in the weeks and months leading up to it. That's probably not something to announce, especially when they're expensive dogs. So I feel awful he was shot. And uh, I think any dog walkers walking celebrity dogs should probably, especially now, no longer announce that you're walking a celeb's dogs. Yeah, I feel like if you're doing any kind of high profile work like that for anyone, you probably shouldn't make it public knowledge that you have easy access to that person's home or animals or anything. It's lucky he wasn't kidnapped. Yes. Uh, he could have been held ransom too. Well, anyway, let's move on to recommendations. We heard Pam make her recommendation. I want to recommend a toaster oven air fryer. I got Pat the Ninja one for his birthday a couple weeks ago. And the magical thing about it, unlike an oven is these things preheat so darn quick. It saves you so much time. An oven takes forever to preheat if you're going over 400 degrees. This takes like a minute to preheat. And I haven't even used the air fryer side of it yet. I'm just enjoying <laughs> it being a, uh, a toaster oven and cooking things a lot faster than a traditional oven does. So if you're looking to speed up your cook times, if you're looking to air fry things, which of course, which of course is healthier than deep frying, uh, definitely check out an air fryer. This one I got is a little more expensive, um, but there are cheaper options out there. I want to recommend um, HBO's series, Alan versus Pharaoh. Um, it's an ongoing week to week documentary series about 
the <laughs> marriage and falling out between Mia Farrow and Woody Allen, um, as well as really digs into a lot of his problematic behavior with um, the couple's children. Um, I will say that this does go into, you know, uh, sexual assault and grooming of minors. So if those are things that you're not prepared to learn about, I would just like provide a trigger warning on that. But it is really interesting if you, if you like me, feel like you missed the boat with a lot of the Woody Allen drama, um, it is very informative. So it's an interesting watch. Disturbing, but interesting. All right. Yeah, you would watch something that I watch disturbing things all the time. Hopefully one day there will be a show about the dog napping of Lady Gaga's dogs. Oh my God, I would watch that. Back to back with um, framing Britney Spears, (laughs) (laughs) the stealing of Lady Gaga's dogs. (laughs) So uh, coming up in After Dark today, like I said earlier, we are going to surprise bitch call one of our listeners who is an expert when it comes to vaccines. So that'll be a good discussion. And then Pam, you are... I, which of you came up with this? Oh, it was me. Yeah. Um, I, I was just scrolling around on the internet and I saw that The Cut has a list of 70 questions you should ask your friends. So I thought that we could maybe uh, talk about some of those and perhaps learn something about each other that we didn't know. And we're doing all so. 70. We're going to be here six and yeah, a half we're hours. we're going to be here yep. until tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a new month, but we had some great After Dark installments last month. We discussed Army Hammer's disturbing text messages, and our listeners shared their weirdest dating stories. We also talked about the worst advice we've ever received. We reviewed the Framing Britney Spears documentary, as Laura just mentioned. And at the beginning of the month, about a month ago, we spoke about New Year's resolutions. There's tons of good stuff happening on After Dark, and you can hear it all at patreon.com slash millennial. Our Patreon is the reason we do this podcast. It keeps the show rolling. So thank you very much. We had something new created for the show that we're going to be debuting in the next few weeks, hopefully. And we were able to get that created thanks to listener support. We would also appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Millennial. So thank you in advance. If you can take a moment to do that, it helps us get discovered by new listeners. You can contact us by writing to millennialshow at gmail.com or using the contact form on millennialshow.com. We also have the confessional on our website. And last but not least, follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.